0: You are listening to First Inhuman, where we interview industry leaders and investors to learn about their journey to inhuman clinical trials. Presented by Vial, a tech-enabled CRO. Hosted by Simon Burns, CEO and co-founder. With episodes launching weekly on Tuesdays. Featuring special guest host Amy Delmedico, VP of Ophthalmology. For episode 34, we sit down with Bruno Gagnon, Senior VP of Global Clinical Operations at Opthea. Learn about how Opthea is working to better the quality of life for those suffering impaired vision by improving visual acuity with their novel therapeutic agent.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Amy Delmedico and I'm Vice President of Ophthalmology here at Vile. Vile is a technology-enabled CRO. I've worked in industry for the last 20 years and I'm here today speaking with Bruno Gagnon, who is SVP of Global Clinical Operations at OPSIA. Bruno, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. So that's correct. I'm heading up the clinical operations globally for Optia, which is an ophthalmology company. So glad to be here.
1: Thank you very much. Bruno, you have over 30 years of experience working in clinical operations. I know you've worked at a number of different pharmaceutical companies. How has your approach evolved over this time? And what have been some of the key learnings that you have?
0: Yeah, well, I've been even in the Bay Area now for over 20 years. And uh, now my approach, I would say, has evolved right from in the beginning. I was focusing a lot on processes and SOPs and hiring people, but companies such as Chiron, Fibrogen, Bauerin, most recently uh, BridgeBio. You know, I've seen some companies of different sizes and I've done a lot of work in small biotech and start. So this building infrastructure is not always the most important. In a started environment, I've realized the key is to have like, the maximum impact in a short amount of time, because often the small companies, they live and die based on data. So Making phase advances is very important. Go to that phase 2B, for example, and make sure that you have your proof of concept will allow you to raise money and then you get to that phase three. So there's always in the way I work, especially in small companies, heavy outsourcing component. Where you have to have really good talent in the office and to put the right balance between what you outsource and what you do in-house, right? Because you're going to need an important component that will be CRO oversight. And go to results, like focus on everything to kind of make that phase advance. Always focus on quality. It's always a non-regrettable move to put emphasis on quality, because even if you go fast and there are some mistakes being made along the way, you may have to redo the work. And typically spending more time on the front end, the planning period is always important. Like You can never plan too much in advance and you can never hire great people too early. Has never happened in my career that I said, oh, I wish I would have hired that great person Later, you always feel that you need the people to be able to support you. So, when I call is like hiring ahead of the curve is very, very important.
1: I really like that. You can never hire great people too early. That's fantastic. What led you to join Opsia and what particularly excites you about Opsia's mission?
0: Yeah, well, when you look at now the next company you want to work at, like a biotech company, and most political operations leaders will, will probably look at similar factors, but you want to have a great technology or great science. So at Option, we have a novel therapeutic agent, and I'll talk about it in a second. So that's exciting. And then is there an unmet medical need? Because sometimes there are great molecules, but the disease area can already be saturated. And then the third thing is the people, because nowadays you're not choosing an office because of the parking lot or like they have, you know, beer in the fridge, you know, most people work remote or you go to the office once or twice a week. So it's not so much like the work environment in the sense of physical environment, but the people is always very important. So for me, with the I had all that. It's a company, it's the only company working on improving visual acuity for retinal disease. Other drugs that are being developed right now will be looking at durability, which means that existing drugs that are great, the companies are trying to make them last longer, which is great. It's also important. But we have a drug with a novel mechanism of action, and there's definitely a clear unmet medical need, which is... No age related macular degeneration, wet AMD. So I was very excited when I saw that it's still a young company with this potential to make a really big difference, kind of disrupt what is happening right now in the field of wet AMD.
1: And it's really exciting isn't it, to work for a company that's taking a slightly different approach. I think that makes it really appealing to come and work with us. Certainly feel that way about Vial as well with our sort of technology enabled solutions. It's making a huge difference. So. Thank you for that. How do you think your experience has prepared you for your current role at Opsia? And have you come across any challenges that surprised you that perhaps you weren't anticipating?
0: Yeah, but it always surprises. I think not not having surprises by itself wouldn't be a surprise, but I think when I arrived in the fact, keep in mind, I didn't come with deep ophthalmology experience. So that's always a little bit of the first challenge is oh, I need to learn, the therapeutic area and all the acronyms and all that. But the fact that I had a lot of startup experience I also didn't mention in the beginning, but I also did a number of years of independent consulting. That was after my Baumarin day. So I did a lot of those like super small companies where you come in and there's not necessarily any kind of processes yet. So thinking outside the box, come in. Now I was lucky because I came, there were already people there that had been working on the design of phase studies, like phase two and three, great based scientific knowledge. So they were able to guide me. But my deep CRO management experience helped me also because as I said earlier, so we count on our CRO and vendor partners. So making sure that you could put the right emphasis on like, where is the focus? Where do you put the expectations from the sponsor and all of that? Another the success factor. And for me, me one of my core strengths developing powerful relationships with healthcare providers, investigators, study coordinators, because small companies, and we don't have a lot to compete with the big ones. Now the large companies who have drugs on the market, they are like you no know, groups. And they have a presence. They're all well-known. They're household names in this field. So for us, people don't necessarily know us or they don't know our drug yet or our known drug candidate. So you have to really go out there and meet with them and make a name for yourself. Make sure that they keep your trial and the company that you're working for top of mind. So I think that my experience building relationships helped a lot because even if I just maybe was new in the field, I was able to kind of quickly make a mark. And maybe that's like the, the last part of your question in terms of a surprise. I was very surprised and happily surprised that the Ritenour community was so welcoming. Because I at the very first meeting I went to, people were walking me around, making introductions. And very quickly, I felt at home, learning from them. I go there very humble. I tell them, I'm here to learn from you. I'm not trying to go and say, oh, let me expect you our trial. Yes, of course, I know my trial very well, but they know the disease. So down to entry-level or early career study coordinators. Or KOL and people in the middle, like new physicians who want to develop their career. When I meet with them, I always tell them, like, tell me how you work. Tell me what the barriers of success are for our trial or for trials in general in the field of retina. And I'm learning from them. And that was a very good finding for me.
1: It's a very small and and extremely busy community, isn't it? You're absolutely right. Building those relationships is key going to change the, the focus a little bit now. We've touched on this, but I wondered if you could dive a bit more into the mechanism of action of OPC-302 and perhaps how it differentiates from other therapies, both emerging therapies and those that are already established.
0: Absolutely. Well, so as many people may know, existing treatments for wet AMD, they work very well, Right, they are called A, and for example, ranibizumab, which is Usentis, and aflibercept, which is ILEA. So these are good. They have revolutionized the treatment of wet AMD, you know, and IVT injections are not the standard of care. There's no doubt about it. But however, we know that they are not sufficient. Like more than 40% of patients on these therapies still do not achieve meaningful vision gain. About 25% will have further vision loss despite being on these drugs. In fact, the majority of patients, they end up not being able to do daily life activities such as driving, cooking, or reading. So our compound, our molecule is called OPT-302. It's a novel therapeutic agent. What it does, is it inhibits the angiogenic signalings through VGFR2 and 3 receptors. So it blocks, or we can even say it traps, the ligand vgf D. So it blocks them, it prevents them from activating VGF2 and 3 receptors. With that, it provides broader inhibition of the angiogenesis process, and it prevents leakage from existing blood vessels. So it works two ways blocks the formation of new blood vessels in the eye and prevents leakage from existing blood vessels. Our theory is in the results from our phase 2b trials, which were very strong. And the goal of the phase 3 is to demonstrate that OPT-302, in combination with any NTVGFA, has the potential to achieve superior vision gain, visual acuity in this case, compared to monotherapy. So in other words, OPT-302 Plus standard of care would be superior than standard of care alone, which we call like, typically We refer to it as monotherapy.
1: Thanks, Bruno. Are you able to discuss the status of coast and shore? How are they going, and is there any particular milestones that you'd like to talk about?
0: I'm happy to. I mean, obviously, this is my day to day life. It's right okay. now is my, not my passion. So shore, it's we have two phase three pivotal trials that are ongoing and recruiting. Sure is our drug on top of Lucentis, and Coase is our drug on top of Ailea, right? They are global studies. We are in 25 to 30 countries. We are making excellent progress in recruitment. Like every week, we enroll patients moving you know, steadily. Like We expect to complete enrollment by as early as the end of December 23. So we're probably in the last stretch. And based on the study design, because it's an efficacy study with primary endpoint point B, visual equity... Primary endpoint will be at 12 months. You can imagine like last patient, last visit being by the end of 2024. or And then top line results would be shortly after that, you know, question of a few weeks. Now, we have an experienced team in operations and looking at the data. We're working on techniques such as clean as you go, rolling lock. And we want to really decrease the time from last patient in to the top lines. So I want to be able to count it in days from the moment where we say last patient out. When are we going to have our top-line results? It should be pretty fast. But right now, the focus is on enrollment, on quality of the data. We're very excited about the way this is going now.
1: It's really exciting. I can't wait to see what the results are next year. So COVID-19 had a huge impact on clinical studies across all therapeutic areas. How did it impact recruitment for your studies? And has it changed the way you have worked since then?
0: Well, I can certainly tell you that COVID, yes, has changed the way, you know, I work. Just for context, I started with Optia last year. So the pandemic has stabilized a little bit, but I can tell you that when Optia started, it was right in the middle of the pandemic and even lockdown. So the huge challenge there, as you can imagine, starting a trial around that time, everybody in the industry faced challenges of startup because you had contracts, you had IRBs, you had regulatory authorities. So a lot of those were delayed. So this was a hard, very challenging start. On top of that, you think about, if you remember I mentioned earlier, no side, no personnel engagement. That was a lot harder because anything from investigator meetings to SIVs to CRO kickoff meeting, everything was done online. And we know we can do online meetings, but it's not the same. And if you do a study in like 25 countries and you have no chance to go to any of those, it's really hard. So the study had like started in a challenging environment, like many people. And another area that I think we all appreciate in the COVID era is staff turnover, not just like CRO staff in our own staff, but at the site level, many people at the site level decided to go work somewhere or work from home. So even investigators would say, I would love to do your study, but I don't have the personnel to run it. We are overwhelmed, so I cannot take it. So site selection was affected. Now, I was at a different company during COVID, and we faced the same things. But how are we doing things differently now? I and mean, obviously, we appreciate that many, many things can be done remote. We can do a lot more like remote monitoring and remote training, and, and we adapt to this. But I want to go back to the importance of the human contact. It's not enough. And if you have zero choice, then, of course, we can do things. like We can support the patients. We can give them transportation. We can deliver drugs at their home, all these types of things. But some trials, like a drug that needs to be injected, intravitreal injection, you cannot do this from home. So patients still need to be able to go to the site. So we need to figure out ways to support the patient in any kind of environment like that. I told you we had a challenging start, but we've basically overcome that. And since then, we've doubled down on site engagement. It's at the core of our strategies to meet with people, develop relationships, train and retrain. And we talk about like lessons learned, and we use that I call the principle of cross-pollination, right? We go and we do investigator meetings or study coordinator meetings in person. It's a workshop style. And we work with them on finding solutions. And then we take these and we bring them to the next meeting. And what we learned from one meeting gets presented in the next meeting. So we go to conferences and have you know, oral presentations just to make sure that Aptia is present in the community. And again, we had very good uh, reception. And even recently, this is new as of uh, a few months ago, we built an MSL group. So actually, MSL is reporting it to me now, and they are uh, in the field visiting doctors, and they support even study coordinators for our phase three study. So we're using the MSL as a way to do site engagement, and have similar roles also in other countries, but we feel that this is an important way that we can distinguish ourselves the way we don't compete with the other companies who have clinical trials on there. Even if technically there's no competition for our patients in the study, but there's competition for the attention and for the workload of the study coordinator. So by we feel that being out there and present with them and supporting them will help them focus their time on our study when it's appropriate.
1: COVID's taught us a lot, I think, but you can't be that face to face. It's just so nice to see people in the flesh. So, uh, lastly, um, just a, a sort of forward looking statement for Oxia. What's Oxia's long term goals for advancing retinal disease treatment?
0: Well, the I said, trials are designed to demonstrate superiority in the uh, no, OPG 302 plus standard of care, like compared to monotherapy alone. So, our goal is like to increase visual acuity outcomes. And then once we can demonstrate that, so the first thing is we need to get it demonstrated in a well-powered phase three pivotal trial. From that, you may imagine like a drug approval and then a label that would be broad enough that people could use opd 2 with uh, any NTVGF therapy. After that, we will obviously look at other indications like in, in retina, like DME, diabetic retinopathy, RVO, and uh We're focused on patients. Like we want to make sure like, where are the needs? Where are the areas where patients need it? And the doctors, we want to give them tools. Once we can demonstrate that in wet AMD, we're planning to continue to explore other indications. So we feel we have one of the most innovative drug treatments in retinal disease, but other diseases that are characterized by venous growth and edema, we feel that we can address that. But the first step is to demonstrate in wet AMD because this is our well-powered study. So first step, Then you are able to kind of look at potentially other areas. And uh, we expect that in some patients, like the doctors may want to use this earlier than later with some of their more severe patients. So it will be left at the discretion of the doctors, how they use OPT 302 in for the label, obviously, but how they can play a little bit with it based on the patients that they are treating themselves. So you can start early, the combination therapy, or you can wait until the patient would deteriorate. But. We just hope that they will have a great understanding of the mechanism of action and how they can improve visual acuity by adding NTVGF CMD on top of what they're already using.
1: Bruno, thank you so much. It's been so interesting talking to you today.
0: Thank you, Amy. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, and Google